evolutionary.org podcast coming away 537 today we're going to talk about what is causing bloat on steroids and how do you fix it so the first one we talk about mobster and i were talking on the pre-show and mobster brought up a really good point and we see this a lot you know and it's going into cycle in poor shape already so if you go into cycle and you're bloated what do you think is going to happen when you take steroids you think when you take steroids the bloat's going to magically go away that rarely happens. Most of the time, your inflammation and your bloat is just going to get worse on the anabolic steroids. So that's the main thing. So I'll say to guys and gals, make sure you go into cycle in peak condition. That's when you start your cycle. You don't go into cycle when you've let yourself go and you've gained a lot of weight and you got a big gut. And you're bloated, your face is all bloated because you're you're eating all this crap all day. And then you go on steroids, you're like, yeah, I'm going to fix it when I'm on steroids. No, fix it before you start the steroids. That's going to contribute to you not only looking better, but also feeling better when you're on your steroid stack. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about this one. We see this a lot on the forums, and it seems to be a domino effect. Guys will go on steroids. And they'll start having a lot of problems and it'll just kind of domino from there. Yeah, I mean, there's there's two things here, Steve. One is, and we've seen this, as you say, in the forums, people will come on and ask for advice. And if if they haven't already included, we'll say, what's your body fat? And that, that, and that 20%, 22%, 25%. We've seen worse. If it's good, it's 15%. And basically, we will say, listen, if you want to get into shape, on a steroid, so you're not bulky, and even bulking, I'd rather use a bit less. Don't be fat. It's as simple as that. And 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 what else, Steve? I think there's a perception sometimes of uh, well, let's three things. In fact, there's a second one is a perception of the steroids are going to make me lean. Mm, there are cutting steroids, but you still got a diet, guys. So uh, don't be fat and think you're going to get lean as you go along. You have to do the work. Why not be lean? In fact, arguably, Steve, we can get into regards to estrogen and AI, as we will in a minute. Being fat is actually going to cause you problems anyway. And I think the last one is their own self-perception. Now, of course, here's the thing, guys, and I'm as guilty of this as the next person. I wouldn't be lifting heavy weights if we didn't have something I needed to do or needed to prove, right? So there's not let's, let's not deny that that doesn't happen. So here's the thing. If your perception of yourself differs from reality then you might not think you're fat but you probably are most of us probably are the reality of that situation is inarguable and i'm sure steve will back me up on this if we talked about statistics of the average person in the street never mind people that work out and train obesity is an epidemic people eating crap food the diet getting worse and worse then how do we think as we lift weights or we go to the gym and we want to get in shape that we're not affected by those things? So if we see, I mean, this is a great example, Stephen. I think there's been plenty of memes made on this back in the day. Guys flexing in the toilet. And I'm talking about when you've just got out of the shower and whatever else. And I don't think there's a man alive who hasn't got boom and done a most muscular at some point. And you've probably got, bear in mind you're naked. Your balls are somewhere down in your knees. And your belly is probably sticking out, but they're still doing the thing. So the perception of how we see ourselves can differ from the reality. And what that means with this particular one is that you might be thinking what you call 
bloat isn't bloat. It probably is fat. It's as often as not. And being fat or fatter, carrying too much fat, a higher percentage, is going to cause you problems. It will cause you to have steroids. So I think Steve touched on it as a title here. What condition was you in when you started the cycle? If you was more overweight than you thought you was, if your perception of that is wrong, and if you literally have too high of a body fat level when you start, you're going to cause problems, and you will cause, especially, Steve, estrogenic issues. So if you are fat, you're going to get more bloated. You are going to have more water. But in reality, sometimes what people think is bloat, what they really mean is water, uh, the holding water is not water. Sometimes, as often, it's, it is fat, and that's what they started at, and they just they compounded it by going on the steroids and then making other mistakes that we're going to get into. So the second thing is, Steve, what drugs did you choose for the cycle that you're about to do or the one that you've already started? Are those drugs what we would call watery drugs? And an obvious one, Steve, which is we're both quite big fans of, Dianabol. Dianabol is going to cause water retention. It's going to cause you to hold water. It's especially very good, as we both know, at putting glycogen into the muscle cells. But in order for that to take place, glycogen being a kind of carbohydrate, as kind of sugar, it pulls water in at the same time. So that's just into, into the muscle cell itself. So what we call wet drugs, what we call watery drugs, would be a bad choice if you're already fat, if you are overweight when you started, if you are, are going to have issues with blow, and especially when it comes to estrogen control. What do you think, Steve, with, with regards to drug choices? So there's two things, there's two errors that people make. Number one, they use poor brands and poor sources. So they'll order what they think is Primo, or they think is EQ, or what they think is T-Bowl or Anavar, right? And they end up, the source ends up selling them testosterone or sends, sends them D-Bowl in an oral form. So people are like, oh, I'm taking Anavar. It's not supposed to aromatize. And it really does. So that's step one. Use a legitimate source and a leg legitimate brand or you end up screwing yourself and you'll end up getting bloated when you don't expect to be bloated. Number two, if you do choose an aromatizing compound, testosterone, when you run it at a TRT dose, is not going to be an issue. Okay. But if you start running testosterone at 250, 300, 350, 500, 750, 1,000, and higher and higher, obviously the higher dosage that you run it above what your body should naturally produce is going to aromatize in the body into estrogen. And the estrogen is going to lead to a lot of bloat and a lot of water retention, depending on how much you use. So and then D-Bowl, same thing. If you use 5 or 10 milligrams of D-Bowl, you could probably get away with it, okay? But once you start using 20, 30, 40, 50 milligrams of D-Bowl, then it's going to be way too much estrogen aromatizing in the body. So now your body is going to have all this excess estrogen that it can't get rid of quick enough. So that's going to cause... The, the water retention and bloat. So just be aware, if you run a steroid that aromatizes, you're going to have to be aware, depending on the dosage, it could cause bloat. But also stacking steroids. I'm not a big fan of stacking steroids that aromatize together. All right? Because once you do that, let's say you, you want to run testosterone and D-Bowl together. That's a, that's a lot of aromatization in the body, you know, 
And they're just basically going to create a lot of estrogen in your system. So what I like to do is run one aromatizing compound with a non-aromatizing compound, like a DHT derivative. And the DHT derivative will actually help control that estrogen, depending on your dosage. Obviously, if you're running 1,000 milligrams of testosterone and you stack 250 milligrams of Masteron with it, you're still going to likely have estrogen issues. And that goes into our next topic, Mobster, which is ancillaries. Now, back in the day, back in the 70s and most of the 80s, they didn't have access to anti-estrogens. They didn't even know what they were. So maybe there was some evil genius out there who, who had it figured out. Okay? I don't know. But for the most part in bodybuilding, they just avoided things that aromatized. So if they wanted to run D-Bowl, they'd only run it in a very small amount for a, small, a short amount of time. Because if they ran too much for too long, they'll end up with bitch tits. And they'd get made fun of, right? So that was the big thing back then. Bitch tits, bitch tits was the big thing. Oh, that's bodybuilder got bitch tits. Same thing with testosterone. They did not run testosterone with their cycles back in the 70s and the early 80s. They didn't because there was no way to combat the estrogen. So you couldn't do that. So the, the dummies who were who were doing that would end up with gynecomastia. You know? So, and there was no way to combat the gynecomastia unless you got surgery. So it really was a really dumb thing to do. But then once you got into the late 80s, early 90s, they started figuring out ways to combat estrogen. They came up with Novodex. That was the big thing. And Novodex is a CIRM. It's a selective estrogen receptor modulator. It blocks estrogen to feed from feedbacking back into the pituitary glands. So is it the most optimal way to control estrogen? No. But at that time, it was their best option. Also, Letro came around. Letro, again... It's not a CIRM, but it's an, it's an aromatase inhibitor, but it's a very harsh aromatase inhibitor. So again, was it the best thing to use? What At the time, that was their best option. So if you, if you see some of these old school bodybuilders um, who really don't update any of their information, they'll still recommend Letro even to this day, which is really, really dumb. So Letro is an AI that you can have on hand in case of an emergency, but it's not something you want to run on cycle. Novodex on cycle to come by estrogen is very old school as well. It's not effective. It's not as effective as actually using the best aromatized inhibitors. And that would be aromacin would be number one and arimidex would be number two. Now arimidex is widely used because it's really, really cheap and it's been around a long time. Aromacin is more newer. It tends to be a little more expensive. It tends to be a lot of, it might be a little harder to get for some of you, depending on your source. Um, so, but those two are the best ones to use. The difference though with aromacin is it is a suicide aromatase inhibitor. So it permanently disables the estrogen enzyme while aromatase will not. So there is a slight chance of a estrogen rebound when you come off of aromatase, but with aromacin, you don't have to worry about that. So I highly recommend, number one, you use aromacin anytime you're using an aromatized compound. But here's a here's the thing, though, Mobster, and we have to explain this to people on the forums all the time, and it's a really easy mistake to make, is they'll overdose their AI. It's a balance. You've got to understand how much 
aromatizing compounds you're using in one hand and how much AI to use in the other hand to balance things out. If you run too much AI versus aromatizing compound, you'll crash your estrogen. And if you don't run enough AI and you're running too much aromatizing compound, your estrogen will still get out of control. So it's all about balance. And how do you figure out balance? Blood work. Blood work is the ironclad way to figure that out. Go ahead, Mobster. Yeah. So here's what we sometimes see, and I kind of always go in the other direction, Steve. What? <laughs> so rumor used to have it, or legend, or pro science used to have it, that you inhibit your gains, guys, if you used an AI. Any of the above that Steve's just talked about was supposed to take away something from your gains. Now, bearing in mind what we're talking about of the other issues, if you were out of shape, if you're using too much of this, if you're using too much of that, you're going to cause yourself problems. The idea that you're then somehow going to inhibit your gains, to me, has always been a kind of ridiculous statement. And so I've always said I would rather inhibit 1, 2, 5, 10, 15% of my potential gains and use an aromatizing inhibitor so that I don't have water issues, so I don't have blood pressure issues, so that I don't get gyno. But any worse than perhaps I already have, Steve, arguably. Um by using something as opposed to rolling the dice and wait until I see signs. And like Steve said, let's be honest again, guys, how many of you are doing mid-cycle blood tests? If you're not doing that, the reality of the situation is that you're almost certainly playing it by eye. And I don't want to wait until I've got issues that I have to deal with. So I always use an AI, an aromatized inhibitor, on cycle, always. No matter what it is, no matter what the choices were available to me, Novadex back in the day, or I'm sitting now, always using something on cycle because I'd rather not have to deal with it. To me, you've all, it's like the, the phrase, the horse has already bolted in there, you are shutting the barn door, seems to apply here. So there's that, Steve. <clears throat> Guys, using or not using, it doesn't make any sense not to use because you think you might lose something out or whatever. Unless you are a massively experienced bodybuilder, and you were super dry and reasonably lean and had a low body fat level, whatever you want to call it, at the beginning, and and all you've got another eye, you're working with a prep coach, something like this, and even then, my advice would still be for you to use an AI. So, I mean, what we're looking at here, the topic of the conversation is avoiding bloat, causing bloat on cycle, and lack of an AI is definitely number one. Now, Steve's also correct in that we get people to tweak have you taken this much? I'm starting to see a little bit bloat. Okay, up it by a quarter of this, half of that, and so on and so forth. That happens a lot, and that's another reason why we encourage you to run logs so that we can give you that running advice during the cycle because you are using an AI. You've done so right from the beginning. You wait until the SS started kicking in and you started using something, either right from day one or within a few days of the SS starting to do their magic in the body. But you need to tweak it. You need to alter it. And that's where us coming in, moderators coming in, and the other guys that offer advice will come in and say, tweak it. So at least you are running something, guys. But again, if you are out of shape, if you are fat, if you are doing a bunch of other stuff that's going to cause problems, then and, and you're not using an AI, you're just asking for trouble. So there's definitely that, Steve. Better you. All right, so let's talk about inflammation from steroid use. So a lot of people... They get confused when when you say steroid. A lot of people they they think they think uh, prednisone or they think uh, you know these other these catabolic steroids that doctors prescribe to people or or 
or cortisone injection. That's that's a catabolic steroid. So these are anti-inflammatory. So you take prednisone, which is, please, I'm not saying go take prednisone. I'm just giving you guys an example. But let's say you took prednisone for like a week, okay? You would notice a lot of anti-inflammation in the body. That injury that had been bothering you for years will magically go away. You know, that neck pain, that back pain will usually just magically go away. So it's a temporary thing. Long-term using prednisone, I don't recommend it. But again, talk to your doctor about that. This, is, this isn't what the podcast is all about. But my point is, those are anti-inflammatory. Now, when it comes to steroid, anabolic steroids, they're anabolic. They're completely different. You go from one end of the spectrum, being catabolic, anti-inflammatory, to anabolic steroids, which are inflammatory. Hence the name, anabolic steroids. So it is possible for you to run steroids, and we see this a lot with Tren especially, which is an extremely inflammatory steroid. So it is very possible you can run Tren and get really, really inflammatory in your body where you just feel like everything is inflamed, like from head to toe. So, and you maybe look a little more puffy than you would like and, and everything. So you'll notice when you run Tren a lot of times, You'll run, let's say you run trend for, for 10 weeks, right? And then you come off, you'll actually look your best a week or two after coming off trend. You won't look your best while you're on trend. And that's because the inflammation dies away once you stop using it and you wait a couple of weeks and it's out of your system. So that's when you really hit your peak. So one of the tips I give my clients who are competing and they when they use trend is I tell them to cut the trend off before your competition. Now it depends obviously if on if you're using trinacetate or trinenthate because enanthate has longer ester of course so it's going to take longer to be out of your system. So obviously with my clients who compete I want them on acetate because I want them to be more flexible. But with acetate you want to give it a couple of weeks. So if your competition is on June 1st, I want them to stop the trend mid-May. This way, by the time the competition comes, it's out of their system and all the inflammation is, is reduced. Not all of it, but most of the inflammation is reduced. And they can turn to other steroids like Mastron or Winstrol or something that will dry and, and harden them up. So keep an eye on that. Testosterone also is a big inflammatory steroid as well, especially if you use it at 500 milligrams or higher. So not just the estrogen which, with testosterone, it's also the inflammation. So any harsh steroid is going to cause inflammation, anadrol. Big one, super droll even will cause inflammation. So that's another factor on why you're having any type of issues where you're getting bloat. So how do you fix it is either reduce the dosage or you yeah. could just avoid using these harsher steroids if they don't agree with you. Now, some guys will run trend, they'll shred up, they'll eat pizza every day and they'll still look fantastic, okay? Everybody's different, but most of you out there, you'll run trend and you'll notice, yeah, I feel I, I'm looking more inflamed, even though I, I look bigger, I look, I'm stronger, but I'm, I'm more, I look, there's inflammation going on in my body and it will be reflective in your joint health. It will be reflective on with injuries. When you go on cycle and you use a very inflammatory steroid and you start getting nagging injuries, those injuries will get worse and worse and worse from the extra inflammation that your body is getting. Go ahead, monster. Yeah, in fact, you just touched on it there, Steve. I was going to jump in here now, guys. Just two things. One is what sometimes happens on cycle, and I'm probably using, when I use BDs, 
I'm probably using it for that very reason, Steve. I'm looking to do one of two, in my case, lift heavier weights. But a lot of people tend to up their volume on training. And that's okay because especially anabolic steroids is going to up your nitrogen retention. You're going to recover quicker from the fact that you use the steroids from the training you do. So people start to increase their volume. They're using more weights and so on and so forth. In reality, some of them are risking inflammation around their joints. We talk about guys with sore elbows. We see them come on my elbow aches all the time, my wrist aches all the time, my shoulder aches all the time. And nine times out of 10, Steve and I are really good at this. Take time off, go and get rehab. So what happens to guys on cycle? Not only are they using drugs which are inflammatory in and of themselves, but they're increasing their volume. In other words, they are pounding away on their already worn out and sore joints. And that's the reality of it, Steve. I, <laughs> there's not a person that trains hard that hasn't got something on them aching. And it's kind of a price we pay. But to then argue against not having inflammation around that joint or not inflaming it or not making it sore and causing inflammation and therefore causing bloat, it's kind of sort of skewed logic if you think about it, guys. Something else, which I get. Now, I've mentioned this on the forums. As an older guy, I'm 50 plus, not a million miles away from 60, there are foods that I can no longer eat, and we'll touch on diet in a minute, that I used to be able to eat quite well when I was younger. And the, the one that I've talked about a bunch of times is milk chocolate, both the milk chocolate, the brown stuff, and dark chocolate, the really dark, almost black chocolate. I cannot eat either one of those in anything but the tiniest amounts without it upsets in my stomach. Now, if you are on cycle, there's certain things that you can eat, which are great, but not all of you can eat those things all the time. There's bound to be something in your diet which sometimes changes when really you should have a good diet all the time during your training cycle, during your prep. And how many times, Steve, have we seen top professional bodybuilders not bring their food with them, eat food that they've sourced locally at the competition and end up with a stomach thing? Now, sometimes it's just because they're in piss poor condition and the stomach bug's an excuse. But as often as not, it's because they didn't bring food in from out of town or they got something from someplace that wasn't prepared properly. So they end up with stomach issues. So one of the things you can get on cycle is that certain foods will irritate your gut. And for me, my case, Steve, my stomach sticks right out. Now, as a, a power athlete, a strength athlete, I don't have to have a tiny slim waist. But I know that it's bulging out. I know that I feel bloated if I have chocolate. It really probably upsets my digestion. And it's not something I'm stupid. I've got an eating it because I like the taste of it. And here I am struggling. And to be quite crude, guys, I'm shitting down the toilet and way more frequently than normal. And it's not very nice at all. And that's because I had chocolate. Now, that's chocolate is the issue. For me, it might be something else for you guys. If, for example, some of you young guys have asked this question a bunch of times, you're getting your food from the deli, then it's not great for your diet. And who knows what you're eating? Who knows what's in there? The amount of nitrates. More and more of us are having food allergies, especially younger people for one reason or another. Gluten, as Steve's talked about on various previous podcasts and on, on the forums, is a massive problem for people. And if you have any kind of intolerance, it seems to be aggravated. And again, you are already stressing your body with increased training. You're already stressing your body with PEDs. And now you're having an additional form of stress. And trust me, guys, it will cause bloating. And that's going to lead me to the last part here, Steve, which is a poor diet. And something Steve and I chatted away about in the pre-show, if your diet's piss poor and you're training crazy hard and you're using performance-enhancing drugs, then you're just leaving yourself open to a poor result full stop. And that's just the case. You can't out-train or out-drug 
a really bad diet. Some of you, even the most genetic freaks, and I've used the analogy before with regards to Dexter Jackson saying that even I needed to diet. Even I couldn't do it if it fits your macros. So if your diet's poor, if it's really bad, if you're eating crappy foods, you're just going to have poor results. And some of that will come down to, as I just talked about with regards to the allergies, you're going to be bloated. You are going to, your stomach's going to stick out. You're going to hold water. That's an issue right there with the allergic response to, for example, gluten, gluten intolerance, Steve, as you know. You need, you don't need anything in your body which is stressing you. You don't need anything in your body that's a bastard to digest. You don't, sometimes, Steve, as we know, people just go crazy with the amount of volume of food that they're putting in. And the body's struggling to digest it. And they're already doing the crazy stuff in the gym. And they're already using performance on the hustle drugs. So, of course, they get bloated. Talk to about people about intolerances there, Steve, and how that can cause bloating. Huge, huge, huge issue. Huge issue. Um, so, here's the thing. Most of you out there have gotten so used to having stomach problems, whether it be, you know, you get diarrhea on a, nor a normal basis, you get constipation on a normal basis, you get heartburn on a normal basis, you feel like crap after you're eating on a normal basis. You've gotten so used to that that you think that's the norm, and it's not, guys. One of the best ways you can gain a lot of muscle and lose body fat is by not stressing your body from food. So Mobster's example, when he eats chocolate, he gets stomach problems. Now, what do you think is happening if he goes and works out, then afterwards he comes home and has chocolate, and then, then he gets stomach problems the rest of the day and all night, right? What do you think is happening? All that work he put in in his workout is ruined because now the body, instead of repairing itself from that workout, now it has to focus on dealing with this intolerant that it got, whether mobster has some type of food intolerance or an allergy from chocolate, it doesn't matter. It, the point is, he just cannot put it in his body. So he's basically blocking his body's ability to repair in itself from, from that brutal workout. So it doesn't make any sense. So it's very important to eliminate any intolerance you have out of your diet. And here's the thing. When you go out to eat fast food, restaurant food, packaged foods, there's so much crap that they put in there that you don't know what you're putting in. If you go to a restaurant, you don't know what you're putting. They tried that. They tried that um, in the United States back in um, the late 2000s, right? They tried to require restaurants to add ingredients and, and macros and micros to, to, to their menus, right? But that got so much backlash from the hospitality industry. And the reason it did is because that's just not plausible. Restaurants have a hard enough time making a profit. So really, at the end of the day, restaurants can put anything they want in foods. You don't know, you know how they're cooking it, what they're cooking it with. There's no way to know. So you're basically, you don't know what's going in your body. So eating out at a restaurant is a great way to end up with a lot of inflammation and upset your stomach and stuff. So you really have to just avoid restaurant food. You have to cook your own food from scratch where you know is going in your body. And food allergies and food intolerances are very confusing, okay? it's Sometimes it's very confusing, especially for people who eat a lot of processed shit because there's so many ingredients that you're getting. There's like 30 ingredients in, 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 in a pizza. You, there's like 30 to 40 ingredients if you eat pizza, a, a pizza from a normal pizza shop. So you don't know what you're going to be 
uh, intolerant to. It's probably half the damn ingredients that you're intolerant to. So really at the end of the day, you have to eat single quality whole foods that you know what you're getting. Because if you don't, then you're going to end up sick with your gut problems all the time. And that's going to lead to inflammation. So for me, I basically recommend an elimination diet. So elimination diet, you start from scratch and then you gradually introduce foods and see if you're intolerant to. Now, the only problem with that is these intolerances and food allergies tend to come and go. So mobster could have a problem with chocolate now, but five years from now, he could have no problems with chocolate. So really the best thing to do is know what you're putting in your body. And if something bothers you and bothers your gut and, and causes you inflammation, you have to eliminate it. So a good place to start would be gluten, dairy, soy. I mean, these are these are basic places to start. High FODMAP foods, F-O-D-M-A-P. Look that up. Look up F-O-D-M-A-P and look that up and try a low FODMAP diet. And that will help reduce inflammation. So avoiding garlic, avoiding onions, avoiding any, any type of um, alcohol, these are all inflammatory in the body. So start there and kind of work your way back and you'll, your gut will feel better. You'll have normal bowel movements. You won't have constipation, heartburn, and all this crap every day. So know, just know what's going in your body and that will help reduce your inflammation right there. Go ahead, Moss. Yeah, I'm thinking of uh, sodium, Steve. Again, pizzas that Steve mentioned earlier on, fast food, sodium, can be out of control you need to keep an eye on it and the sugars etc that are going into the sources so guys that we've we've done podcasts on this before and there's plenty of advice on the forums check out food prep that we've done the information on because if you prepare it yourself you know what's going into it and that can be right down to the sodium levels the sources the, the, the spices the flavorings etc that you're adding and even then if you can make those flavorings yourself, do so. If you can make the sauces yourself, do so. Because a lot of the time, the sauces and the flavorings itself, even sprinkle-type flavors, herbs, etc., sometimes have sodium in there that's been added to it to enhance the texture and the flavor of the seasoning when it's added. And here you are trying to get in a super rip shape, look amazing, and you're adding more sodium than you thought you was. So you're controlling that kind of stuff. So, yeah, if you can prep it yourself, if you can cook it yourself, so much better. And again, I'm, I'll touch on the one thing I mentioned earlier on, Steve, just to finish off. Guys, the younger guys, especially talking about, uh, we've had people that are working at delis and they get free food, subways, they get free food, stuff like that. The nitrates that are in some of the deli food that you're eating can cause at these problems again. And it's just how your body's responding to it. So like Steve said, whether it's going through the list of foods that you eat and taking one in and putting one out and just seeing how your body responds, and using that information, in fact, especially before a cycle, I want to know all that stuff in advance. If I know right now that chocolate causes me problems, when I'm stupid enough to take it, I know I'm going to have problems with it. That's down to me. Like Steve says, what's the thing? If I can't sleep properly, if I'm dehydrated because of upset stomach, uh, then the training that I've done that day is kind of negated because my body is just trying to recover from the issue. So keep those things in mind, guys. Make sure that you pay attention to all the points that we brought up today. The conditioning when, when you started, the drug use that you're using, not using or not sufficient levels of an AI, inflammation from training, from allergies, from the PD use itself, and a poor diet. Please note, we are not doctors and the opinions are ours. It's our view and based on our experience and views on the topic, a podcast for informational purposes and entertainment only, the freedom of speech and the First Amendment applies.